Ready? Welcome to the 25th episode of Outsiders. Outsiders is a podcast that features innovative women, queer culture, and conversation. My name is Julia Curtis Burns, and I'm your host. And today I'm joined by Dr. Buki Kalawale. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you do, Dr. Buki? I am a clinical psychologist um, in New York City. I am the owner of what is currently known as Dr. Buki and Associates, but we're rebranding to be called Relationship HQ, um, mm. where I work with um, queer people. Um, around relationships, um, mental health, behavioral health, all of it. So I, I see what I do as I, I strengthen relationships. Mm. That's what I do when I'm working with you individually to strengthen relationships or working with you in your partnership to strengthen relationships. That's what I do. That's awesome. So this is really important work. And I know that you work with everyone, but you focus on the queer community. Absolutely. What inspired you to get into the mental health field? So the mental health field, like, actually knew that I wanted to be a psychologist when I was 12 years old. What? Yes. So at that point, um, I actually had just moved to the States um, from Nigeria, and my um, high school um, school psychologist invited me to her office. Mm. Just was wanted to say, you know, I know you just moved from a different country. Let's, let me just check in to see how you were doing and how you were adjusting. And I was surprised and blown away that that was her job. That you literally, I was like, you literally sit here and talk to people. That is your job. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, what do you call that? I was like, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. <laughs> so this is when you were 12. I was 12 years old. So literally went home. I said, Mom, I'm not going to be a pediatrician anymore. I'm going to be a psychologist. And started sort of, what do I have to do? And got sort of my little, all the requirements. You go to college. You have to go to grad school. And so my path was set. And that was it. Um, and the only moment that I ever sort of, thought about it twice was when I wanted I was so eager to get out and so I said maybe I'm gonna go into social work mm. but then I, I had one more psychology class um to before I switched my major um and that psychology class did it and I was like yeah I'm sticking to psychology yeah it's going to school for forever um so well first of all I think it's pretty awesome that you knew at the age I of know, 12 it's what you were, wanted to do it's really um, crazy but I think it's also really important and amazing work to be able to see for me, it's like that you're able to encourage people to be open enough to talk about what they're going through Absolutely. with you. Right. So you said you didn't want to go into social work. Yeah. Why not? So I, so for me, it was about, so when I took my class, the la, that last class in psychology, when she described all the remaining classes I had to take in <laughs> psychology in oh. undergrad, I was like, but I want those classes. So okay. it was really, it was, that was really about the decision maker for me was really about not wanting to be deprived of those remaining psychology classes. That you're interested that in. That I was interested in, which is why I stuck okay. to it. Um, I feel glad that I, in fact, pursued psychology and not necessarily social work because I just think the fact that when you, when, you, when you go to school for psychology because you're required to go to school for a much more extended time, mm. the training, you sort of get, you're forced to have more training and sort of be more exposed. So I think those experiences versus when you jump out and then you just start to do, if you're under mentorship of someone, great. But um, I feel like when you go, when you're, when you go to uh, grad school and you go through the whole doctoral program, it just forces you to sort of be like, you're just getting trained and trained and trained. You know what I mean? Mm. So I, I value that knowing myself. I value that now um, in a way that I don't even know that I even understood um, back at that intersection. 
Interesting. Yeah. And what is the process like? I mean, so if there's someone who wants to get into psychology, yeah. what do you have to do? Yeah. So you have to go to college for sure. Um, I think that, so I don't, I don't know how much it matters what you actually major in, but um, after college, you have to then take GREs, of course. Then you go to grad Yuck. school. <laughs> yeah. No, no. <laughs> GREs are not fun. So you have to take GREs. I think that, and I, the way that I understand it now, I think before they used to only have two uh, the analytical and maybe verbal, but now there's a, another additional part. And then you also have to take the GREs in psychology to show that you have at least a very, like a foundational base of, of what grad school will be about. Excuse me. And then you jump into grad school for five to seven years, depending on whether you're going for um, a PhD or a PsyD and how much, how motivated you are to stay on top of the classes, getting your practicum done and doing that. Mm. Dissertation is really where people fall off because you're living life, and once you're out of the school, like when it's because you're structured and you have to take a certain amount of classes, but once it's time to pump out your dissertation, you're kind of on your own. So mm. if you start to lollygag or you're just not focused or you're distracted by other things, then that's when it starts to go the six year mark, seven year mark. So it can then take a minute to get out. So is there like a cap? Are they like, hey, so uh, you started your program <laughs> seven years yeah. ago and we still haven't still received haven't, your dissertation. Yeah, so a lot of programs, to my understanding, do in fact um, will cap it and let you know that you have to graduate by a certain, certain time. I don't know what that number is. So. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what's the dissertation process like? So that is essentially you are, in my understanding, I do not, I did not do that. Um, you are studying a specific you have a specific focus and then you have to present it to a board yeah so right? to yeah so to a group of folks in the in the in the field that are experts in that area okay um or sort of have some have a uh, some level of expertise in that area so you choose a topic that you should, ideally you should choose a topic that's interesting to you um that because you're going to be sort of spending a lot of time like learning about that and just reading about that and sort of essentially you know based on the whatever your, the, you choose a, the topic. And, and for, for mine, I, I did, um, ah, what was the name of my, uh, subtypes of um, perpetrators for intimate partner violence. And so at that point, um, so I, I moved away from the partner violence field a bit. Um, but at that point, I wanted to, you know, part of the research had shown that there are different types of murderers mm. um, in terms of personality profiles. Um, and, Sort of the, re- the the function and the reason why the partner violence occurs sort of related to the type of batterer um, mm. that exists. And there were some questions there that I didn't think had been answered there that I wanted to answer. Um, so I, so that was my topic. And then once you know you do a lot of you do your research on that, and then you have to present that to um, the group of experts who then review you and like, essentially check it to see if in fact you can um, hold. I don't mean they hold this, but they they're like. Are you really contributing now? Are you contributing something new here? Mm. Um, but and, and you have an advisor um, at the beginning of that process who's really sort of making sure you are answering and sort of moving through that path the way you need to. Um, and I had a really good one too. And you sort of def- and you essentially have a, de- a defense where you're really actually defending your your topic and demonstrating your, mm. your your knowledge and your expertise in that area. And really, what they're saying is, are you really answering this? In this area at this time, if yes, then you pass. If no, they ask you to go back and modify it, and then you have to sort of resubmit and defend again. 
Not like it, not like go through the whole program again. No, 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 no. Oh. Just just the defense. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. I was like, damn. Like, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm like okay. you know what? Yeah. Forget it. <laughs> no, I think they're like they're they're different kinds of like you can either pass your defense or you can be you can do a revision with I can't even remember the different categories. Of, mm. Like the way in which you don't pass right away, which is all right, you have to go make some changes and then um they ask you to re re defend or they might just say, okay, you just have to fix these parts and then we'll, we'll accept it at that point. Okay. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and so you have been practicing now for... For God, I don't even know how long. For a long time. It feels like a long time. Um, I started my I started my, my own private practice, I know, in... I want to say 2009. Okay. Maybe it's 2009 or 2008. It's so long <laughs> that she doesn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, one thing I like to do yeah. is talk about identity. Okay. Right? Because you're doing work that's specifically working with queer folks. Absolutely. But how do you identify and what terms do you claim? Yeah. So, I think I use the word queer or gay. Those are the words that feel mm-hmm. the most fitting for me. Um, yeah, I think that, I think queer is just, I mean, it's the, it feels like the perfect word. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, that's that's the word that feels the most fitting for me. I've never. I I mean, I feel like lesbian first, but I just don't. I don't. The way that I like when I when I identify as queer or and really queer, there's like a big smile that comes on my face mm. and it's just such pride. Um, in a way that I don't sort of have that same like relationship with the word lesbian mm-hmm. or even gay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm gonna talk about you. That- <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that. I, I like queer as well. Yeah. I think it's all inclusive. Yeah. Um, but could you tell us a little bit more about working with the queer community? Are there specific things? Because you, you work with individuals, mm-hmm. but you also work with... So I specialize with couples. With couples. With couples. And really, and I'm opening up more to partners now because one of my next... What I want to start doing more work around is actually helping... So, you know, a lot of co- folks who are in non-monogamous relationships and helping Ooh. them open up the relationship um, and doing it safely um, and maintaining, knowing how to maintain those relationships. So so I right now I define my specialty as with um, couples, um, but the space I want to start to play actually a lot more. I'm already doing that work, but I want to almost like push push myself to specialize more with is actually with open and non, non, non-monogamous relationships. So like... Polyamorous, polyamorous relationships. relationships. Absolutely, absolutely. Is polyamorous the same as non-monogamous, or is am I? So it's 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 not synonymous. Oh. Um, polyamorous is a one type of non-monogamous okay. relationship. Okay. Exactly. So, for example, if in fact you you and your partner, um, um, so again, because there's so many different sort of. Um, let us know. Break it down. <laughs> well, I would get y'all get all because I'm like that's not necessarily special to yes. But um, so but you know so let's say for example when you're in, when in fact you're you're identifying in some way in a polyamorous relationship, um, then you and your partner both might be having actually relationships with other partners, whereas um, some 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 folks have open relationships where they have sexual relationships with other people, but they don't necessarily enter into relationships, intimate relationships with someone else. So they wouldn't necessarily, they don't know that they would describe themselves as polyamorous. Mm. They would just describe as having an open relationship. 
Okay. Does that make sense? Where they could date other people exactly. and, and, and exactly. really engage not in sexual yeah, would, relations exactly. I wouldn't with even say dating, just like they can engage in sexual relations with okay. people, but they can sort of in, in, invest that emotional energy and sort of cultivate the emotional connection mm. in a way that when you're in a polyamorous relationship, you're, you're sometimes assumed. So why are you interested in shifting your focus from couples to partners? So partners? I think, because I think that, I mean, I think that the beauty of it is that we're in a time where the folks are being much more open about this and, and mm-hmm. folks who are in the poly community don't always, they, they, there's a lot of feelings of shame at times it's associated with because it's sort of this taboo that the assumption is that um, monogamy is the way. And so there are people who are playing in this space and there are people who are playing in this space for different reasons. And so, so, you know, so one of the reasons why I'm interested in doing it is because there are lots of times, so opening up the relationship and maintaining, having, having a non-monogamous relationship are, can be really difficult, mm. but it's possible. It can be done. And, but, it, but you have to work mm. even harder than you do when you're just in a couplehood. Right. And so I don't know that folks are always aware as aware about what that work looks like mm-hmm. and how to, in fact, I, I think the best way I know how to say is how to, in fact, open up your relationship in a safe way or to engage in that space in a safe way. And when I'm using the word safe as in really, I mean, the, the reason, the only reason why, in fact, non-monogamous relationships can work is when both partners and all the partners involved really know how to really show up to ask for what they need. Mm. So when we have our different fears that prevent us from getting in the way of why we don't ask, then we end up feeling resentful, feeling hurt, feeling just, all those other mm. feelings come up that aren't being taken care of, and then we're doing crazy things. Does that make sense? So for yeah. me, it's about, you know, the work that I do um, with couples and the model that I use is a really, really powerful, powerful model. And so when I've seen, and I've used that same model with my, with folks who are opening up the relationship or with folks who are in polyamorous relationships, mm. it's huge and it's transformational for them. So my interest is saying, oh, this is a space that I want to be playing more with and sort of engaging with mm. folks around mm. more and trying like we're equipping people. If we're going to say, let's go the non-monogamous route, then I want to make sure you're equipped with the tools to navigate that world um, because it's, it's, I would say it's harder than just when you're just dealing with just right but it's the same skills right so it's transferable but again it's but it's hard because the relationship itself <laughs> is it's a hard. lot it's, it's a really you really know hard. so i'm thinking like you know <laughs> whoo yeah <laughs> well what is at the core because you said you have a model and i know mm-hmm. I, we can't get all the juicy details but <laughs> well, what is at the core of yeah. this model mm-hmm. that makes it work yeah. for these couples yeah so i use the the model i use is called emotionally focused therapy for couples and it was um developed by a woman named susan excuse me susan johnson um she's out in ottawa she's a clinical psychologist i think she's a clinical psychologist she's a psychologist and there so in 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 when you're doing couples work there are a bunch of different models that therapists use to inform their work Mm. and what what attracted me to so i'm someone who i'm um I'm someone who I very much value what like evidence. So I always want to know what's the thing that the research has actually already shown is actually effective. And that's the thing I want to actually mm. use. And of all the different um, uh, models that exist, um, there are only two models that, in terms of relapse rates for couples, 
um, had the lowest. And it was EFT for couples and another model I used to originally use called Integrative Behavioral Couples Therapy. So the thing that makes makes EFT... What is, it, what is it stand for? EFT? EFT is Emotionally Focused Therapy. For oh, okay, couples. okay, okay. So the thing that makes EFT different than IBCT from my perspective is that, um, so number one, EFT is actually based on attachment theory. So that's a whole different like, talk. Which, like, have some- <laughs> we can have multiple talks. <laughs> so we're talking about the science of love and yes. know, there's stuff where we're, like how we're biologically wired for attachment and all of that stuff. But EFT is the only model of all the couples therapy models that exist that's actually based on attachment theory which actually thinking about the way that we are actually wired mm. and what we do and so that's number one it's based on that theory and then number two it's the what's also what's really beautiful about it is that in, you know so in EFT when we're doing EFT there's sort of three stages of the work the first stage is about us de-escalating a couple and what that mm. essentially means is that when a couple walks in whether it's a couple where you find that there's a lot of conflict so if there's a lot of conflict, then we want to sort of get them to a place where they are understanding whether well, it's a conflict or maybe they may be very like apart and very mm. like, distant from each other emotionally. Um, so the, stage one is about really helping them both understand the dance that they do in their relationship and how that's int- like impacting the other. Mm. So stage one is just getting helping them really literally not just have this like the way I'm describing this technical knowledge, but like really recognizing that when I, for example, when I when I sort of I'm angry and reactive with my partner, right? It makes it harder for her to actually come forward and share with me things that are happening for her, right? Because then she starts to walk on eggshells and doesn't want to upset me. And then it's actually more withdrawn or retreating, which then I want more. So it sort of mm. creates this whole thing. And then because she's then much more withdrawn, then I'm more reactive because I keep trying to get her to, you know? So it's sort of this dance that we're doing um, so stage one is just literally helping couples understand that like when things are happening in the relationship where you're both coming from it from like with your own sort of natural lens mm. and usually what you're doing makes sense for you as a way of coping, right? So in fact, when no one partner is like sort of really feel, is feeling angry or hurt uh, and the way that they show up in that moment is a way of trying to protect themselves, but that actual way of protecting yourself is actually what's triggering your partner. So in stage one, we're just trying to help you just even understand that there's this thing that's happening in the room mm. in, when you guys are interacting in those like difficult moments. So once we, once couples get that, then now the work begins because now we're not sort of putting out fires all the time. Now we can get to the heart of matters. So in stage two is a state is a stage where we're really actually helping couples really come forth and come forward with each other with the sort of the deeper, whether it's longings, the deeper fears that they sort of mm. don't necessarily talk about, that's harder to talk about. Like all of a sudden you're fighting about being late and really it's not really about the time and all of that. It's about how important I feel to you and how... Tell <laughs> it! <laughs> so Tell it! Like that. So, it's like, so in stage two is one where when partners are sort of equipped and our focus is really helping you know how to have those kinds of conversations. Mm. So the next time it's, it is about a fight about... The partner knows this isn't really about time and promptness. This is about you feeling not important. Come here, babes. I'm so, so sorry. Right? So that's sort of what we're doing. So when we do that stage two level work. So once that's done, when couples sort of, and what happens in that when we're doing that is we start to restructure the the positions partners are in in the relationship. So I don't want to get all technical, but if someone partner sort of lives in that sort of withdrawing position or the other partner lives in a pursuing position, we're sort of moving so that it's not so rigid um, mm. and changes the face of that. 
And stage three is really sort of the consolidation of the work where you're sort of really looking at where you guys were when you started, noticing that, in fact, the problems that used to feel so hard are actually not so hard when we know how to actually have those real mm-hmm. conversations that we really actually need to be having. So that's the, I mean, so this work and the, the beauty of this work is that it's just, it's not, you know, the, the other model, the reason why I left the other model was that this helps me access the deeper primary emotions in a way that that other model didn't really have a map mm. for. So when I'm in the room, again, because I understand attachment theory based on the way that this, right, things are happening, but any any fight that's happening, I always understand, and this is my goal, is to help couples understand that it's always about that attachment. It's always mm. about, do I matter to you? Am I, do you see me? Can I be seen? Can I be safe? Like, that's really always what the fights are really mm. about. So that's, I mean, that's what is beautiful for, for me about this model. It's something, it's com- I completely believe in it. Um, I drink the juice myself. <laughs> so it's, yeah, so I love, 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 love this model. So it's, you know, so that's what I mean when I sort of say the power of this. So when couples are, um, you know, when I, I had a couple the other day just sort of sharing and saying how they were watching their friends fight. And they're just like, man, we just don't look like that. Mm. Right? Because mm. they sort of know how to get it. it differently. Now, and they can almost like sit and tell their friend, oh, this is happening to me. You know what yeah. I mean? Because now they're yeah. speaking that language. Now they know how to like relate with each other. That's in that sweet. Way. So, <laughs> your sweet. face right now. <laughs> I'm so into it because like, I'm thinking about my personal life. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about it. Oh, man. Um, wait, so attachment theory. Yeah. I just want to go back a little bit. Yeah. That is the idea that at the core of it, we just want to feel that we're we're tied to our partner. Or, or so attachment theory actually. Um, John Bowlby, for those who are nerds and want to look look it up, um, nerds all day. <laughs> so John Bowlby was the um, the I don't know if you call it the John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. But attachment attachment theory really sort of identify that the way in which we move in the world um, is we're biologically wired, actually, that in the context of, of um, distress, that there's something that actually happens for us that, that's actually wired to us that we want to, we seek, we want, we need, a, we need a someone that we're going to attach to. Mm. And so when you think about babies, and I was, I was doing some reading um, a while ago, that when babies are born, sort of all the things that they do, what it's doing is actually trying to, in fact, develop that attachment with the primary mm. care- caregiver, right? So ultimately where that caregiver sort of becomes responsible and protects them so that they can help them, help a baby survive. Um, so attachment theory, you know, I would say it's the, the it's almost like the way we describe it is like a science of love mm. is really what it's, it's what it is, but really it's what it's the, 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 what, what's inherent in it is talking about what happens when we are distressed, what do we do? And the way we cope when we're in distress, whether we're someone who tries to pretend we don't need, we don't really have feelings, and so I'm fine, or it's that I actually say F you and push you away, or I actually am someone who's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, like, save me, right? All of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're someone who actually, you don't get frazzled. So again, sort of the ways that uh, the original relationships we have, this is where People, when people come in, they're like, oh my God, I have to finish with my parents, right? So our, our relationships, yeah. our original relationships really set a model for us of how, what we can expect in the world. How you, how I, and, and what happens is that in the context of our original relationships and important relationships, it tells us about, it gives us information about ourselves mm. and it gives us information about the world, 
right? So we start to develop ideas about, am I lovable, right? Is the world a safe place? Are people trustworthy? So mm. as those things that happen are really shaped by what happens in relationships. Um, I feel like that was a really long-winded response to you. That was... <laughs> The si- so the, so you so there is indeed a science of love. There is absolutely, and this is the part. So this is the part. So you know, there is absolutely a science of love for those out there who are interested in this. Grab a book called Attached. It's the most. What I love about Attached, and if you want to email me and argue with me about it, love to uh, talk with me about it. Just share your opinions about it. I'd love to hear it. The, what I love about Attached, it's like it's a very offers explains attachment theory in a very very simple way that is easy to digest mm-hmm. and um, and helps helps people start to think about what um, what's my attachment style and the different types of attachment styles that we have there's controversy in the field about whether it's categorical uh, we should, whether we can actually place people into categories or mm-hmm. it's really about really thinking about it on the continuum of um, sort of like how, how how we do with closeness and how we respond in the face of anxiety so there's sort of Conversations about that, but the beauty of attached is that it does a really nice job of summarizing what we what we know. At least at that point, the author wrote it about attachment theory, and and more importantly, its applicability to your everyday life, especially if you're out about in dating. Um, it's beautiful. Once if you're already in the relationship with your partner, it's about learning how to live with and how to accept. And but more than that, it's also about decoding, right? That when in fact you're you know, when in fact you have an anxious partner, right? The fact that they're always looking for you to like check in, right? Isn't necessarily because they want to control, but it's because they feel scared. Will you leave me? Right? Do you, will you hold me in mind when you're far? Right? But, but again, if I don't know how mm. to talk about that, I'm going to be hitting you up with text and talking about a whole lot of other things. Why didn't you, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you, do, right? So all of those things. So part of the beauty of, of, of when we start to understand these things and we're accepting of ourselves around it. And I don't have to feel embarrassed that I get scared that I might be left because usually it's a good story why, in fact, I have that fear. Mm. So if I can start to accept that, then essentially I can say, babes, you know, i just love for you to be able to check in with me when you get to blah, blah, blah. You know, so that's so it's just, it just helps you change the conversation, helps you change the music that's playing when those things, those moments are happening. Um, so that's the beauty of all this information we have in our field that sometimes gets out to the like public, sometimes doesn't. And this is why, which we'll talk about, a little bit about why Relationship HQ, but this is exactly why, in fact, I'm sort of rebranding from the way that I've been doing in practice, as I was practicing as a solo practitioner, um, and wanted and wanted to say, we have to do this thing differently in a way that we're putting psychology into the hands of people and helping people really understand what we're what we're knowing and learning about in the research. Like, it should be out in the hands yeah, of the public. Yeah, tangible you know, info. Absolutely, tangible info. Oh, yeah, so, I'm all about that. Yeah. Knowledge yeah, sharing. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So... I am really into that attachment theory. Yes. Look it up, man. So grab that book. Because you you said, okay, you said that people always say, oh, it comes back to my parents. Yeah. Right? So at the base, from childhood yeah. or from babyhood, yeah. the way that we learn about relationships are through what we see from our upbringing. Absolutely. What we see and more importantly, how we are responded to. Mm. Right? So in fact... You know, when, in fact, let's say, for example, we have, um, and so the thing I want to say, too, right, it's not a piece that's important, right, it's not, I would, I don't, I, I'd agree that it's not all about our parents, and all about our parenting, right, it's, so this is the beauty of, this is the beauty of us being, of, of, of being humans, is that our attachment styles are actually dynamic, 
So let's say, for example, so I, you know, at the base of it, what, we're, what they're categorizing is, do you have a secure attachment or an insecure attachment style, right? And, and what, whichever you have has been shaped by the, by the most important relationships you've had. So essentially, it, let's say, for example, you in fact had awesome, awesome parents who in fact were very responsive to you emotionally, and when we're talking about attachment, we're talking about emo- we're talking about emotional mm-hmm. connection and the presence and availability of comfort. So let's say, for example, you had an awesome parent who were very responsive emotionally to you, um, that you had a, you were able to develop a secure attachment, and then you have a really really messed up adult relationship, intimate relationship that's really powerful. It can actually change your attachment style to become an insecure attachment style. Mm. An insecure attachment is where you're like, can you, so can you call, so can you text me every minute? <laughs> so they're different. Where are you at, yeah, baby? So they're different, different types of attachment styles. So, so when we're looking at the kid, when we're, the, the kid version, we're talking about anxious, anxious, um, anx- anxiously attached. We're talking about avoidant mm. um, attachment style. We're talking about disorganized, and we're talking about secure. When you now they change, when you now move to being an adult, we have uh, what we call fearful avoidant dismissive avoidant then you have the <laughs> anxious avoidant and then you have secures as wow. well so there's sort of all these different kinds of um the different sort of um categories that i guess you would call it um but it, it everything but secure is insecure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. does that make sense so essentially the the, the 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 beauty about when you you have a secure attachment style is that you 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 can you do well with closeness you value closeness and it's almost like thinking about like it's like this, you're okay with being um, dependent and and when things happen you like the ways that the way like the the, the ways that um, people who are um, securely attached the way that they see the world is different than the way that insecure folks who are insecurely attached see the world mm. in that and I think the heart of it is that in one way or the other with the insecure attachment styles the world isn't necessarily safe so you're constantly having to do different moves in order to take care of yourself and protect mm-hmm. yourself in a way that secures don't actually experience the world. Mm-hmm. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So when, in fact, they are in distress, they know how to, like, seek comfort. I'm sad. Mm-hmm. Can I have a hug? Yeah. Right? Will you be here and, for me? And be vocal and about, be vocal it. about it. it. And be vulnerable about it, right? Yeah. Versus another, another, yeah. another style, right, where you're hurt, but you actually show up as angry. And so everybody's kind of, like, moving away Right, instead of coming close, but you re- and that's what you really and that's what want, you really want, right? But you're so, projecting absolutely, this anger, absolutely, because yeah. we don't know how to be okay with talking about vulnerability, and not because any of us sort of choose these things, but because of the almost like the the smug that's in the air, mm-hmm. right? Where we have this idea that vulnerability is bad and we have to hide it, that we just don't show emotion. We got to look like we got it all together because yes, girl, keep good. that face, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's 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 it's. I mean, this is sort of this is. The, sort of different things that are sort of happened that really um, are, this is the relevance of those relationships is because it really shapes how we end up showing up. And, and, and oftentimes, and, the part, and this is the important part too, is that the way that that attachment style you have is, is how you relate to your partner mm. is likely the way you relate to your friends. It's likely the way you show up at work. So it sort of, it's goes with you everywhere. Goes everywhere. You don't kind of like, you can't yeah. be like, it's this in this one way. And it's, no, it sort of goes everywhere. The extent to which you like, you know, show it is mm. what we might say is different. Hmm. Does that make sense? This is blowing my mind. I'm so into this. I'm gonna read that book. Yes, read it. Yeah. So Amir, I mean, this is so one of the you know once we once we once we launch 
Um, I want to bring Amir, the guy who wrote that book, um, to do a talk um, because I just think, you know, the information he has. And what I love about him, and there's so many books out there about attachment theory, um, but what I think he does a really lovely job of is talking about talking about it to adults in, in very simple, digestible ways. Yes. You know, because I think when we you know, get people who are so excited about it, we start getting into jargon. And, and you're like, like, what? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So... I think the best educators are those who can, you know, be very knowledgeable about something and know the jargon, but be able to talk to anyone Absolutely. about it, from Absolutely. kids to adults, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. that means you really understand the Absolutely. information. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. yes, <laughs> I got to read that. Yes, okay. So, um, one of the things I always wonder about, you know, in thinking about attachment theory and all of this is... Are there specific things that you've noticed that affect the queer community yeah. in terms of relationships? Yeah. So I mean, this is just to be a very fascinating because when you know, when I designed when I when I when I created my the, the practice, you know, what I wanted to make sure happened, unlike any other thing that I saw out there at that time, um, and I won't go into the story of what even inspired me to say I was going to create a practice that was going to be different the way. Go into it. That's what this podcast is yeah. about. So I'll go into it really, really, quickly, okay. really quickly. So I remember when I was actually in grad school, um, and my partner at that time, um, we decided to actually pursue, look for couples, do a couples therapy, given some of the stress we were having, uh, some of the difficulties we were having at that point. And I remember sort of, you know, and I was sort of in grad school, so I was all psychologists around me. I was like, who can I go to? Um, I'm gay and and first of all, people had a hard time even identifying any therapist that specialized mm. with like gay couples and all the same sex couples. And I was like, number one, that's a problem, but whatever. So I show up to this. Um, so I ultimately get a name and make an appointment. And we show up to this appointment, and the entire therapy session, the man kept on referring to me and my partner as friends. And so, no. so like when I'm talking with like partner, right? And what we do when we're talking, when we're in doing therapy is that, you know, we are always trying to bring that relationship in. So you, I'll use long words like your love, the love of your life. You look over there and you see the woman that you love. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm always mm-hmm. using that kind of language mm-hmm. to like bring it closer and to actually heighten emotions that yeah. we want in the room. But this man kept on calling my girlfriend at that time, my friend. And I was what? like, what? Like, She's not my friend. Like, she's not my friend. But that was about his own discomfort. Yeah. And it was such a, it was a painful experience because we were in there really talking about really vulnerable things. And the entire time he kept on calling us friend. And it was just such an invalidating experience for me. And I said, you know, when I am done and I start a practice, queer people will be the norm. You know, that was sort of what was very, very, like, was just, I didn't want people to ever search and say, who is right? You mm. jump online, you Google it, like that it needs to pop up, yeah. right? Um, so that felt really important to me, and but more importantly was to make sure I was doing my part to prevent folks from ever having that experience mm. where you're in the place that is supposed to be the, a very safe space for your relationship. That the entire time you're being um, in this very unintentional and very subtle way. Right, being cut every moment, mm-hmm. and it just sort of mm-hmm. just was just so that was sort of what said, you know, what I am specializing like as it relates to the LGBTQ community. When you are, if you need anything related to behavioral health, anything you Google it, you will find me. Yeah. So that felt sort of really, really important to me. What well, thank you. <laughs> what was the question again? 
No, thank you for that. Absolutely. Because it's much needed. Absolutely. Um, so are there any... Yeah, the differences, yeah. Differences. So, yeah, so I think, you know, you know, this is a really important question. And I think, the re- to be quite honest, the only major difference, I would say, is about... The only difference that I think that queer people experience that heterosexuals do not, and there are implications about this difference, is related to a partner not necessarily being out Mm. and the implications of that and what that does to a relationship. So that homophobia that we, the world like that is experienced and how that has impact on the relationship is the one thing that heterosexual people do not, or heterosexual couples do not experience that is constantly impacting Mm -hmm. um, uh, queer, queer couples. And knowing how to navigate that, right? Because part of what it is, right, is so, again, right, oftentimes when a partner's not out, right, it's, a, it's usually the fear or shame, mm-hmm. right? The fear mm-hmm. of the judgment, the fear of being abandoned or fear of being rejected. All of those things is why then we, we sit in the closet, mm-hmm. right? And so, before, remember what I was saying earlier. So, because I want to protect myself from being rejected by my family, I'm going to stay in the closet. But then for my partner, every time they go into that painful. space, it's painful. Yeah. So remember what I said earlier, I'm coping the way that I know how mm-hmm. to cope by staying in the closet. Mm-hmm. But that exact thing is exactly what is triggering for my partner. Yeah. Right? And so that starts to bring up stuff in the relationship. So that's exactly, that's, I mean, that's a beautiful example of, again, mm-hmm. that, that thing I was describing earlier. So that's, so all the consequences of that, of, of that is what I, that's what I think is a major, major, major difference. Mm-hmm. Between, but the part, the, the positions, the way the dance happened, what the dance looks like, all of that, same, same. Relationships are relationships. Relationships, are relationships. relationships right. But that's, but the, the, that extra piece is the piece that's different. And, mm-hmm. and all of the consequences of that is what's different. Yeah. I mean, because essentially you have this extra thing that is on your shoulders every single day. Absolutely. And so if you're not out, and a lot of people aren't, Absolutely. or you're partially out, Absolutely. you're Absolutely. out to your friends, but not your family, Absolutely. that can really Absolutely. affect Absolutely. a lot. And one of the, you know, one of the um, ways that one group of researchers have talked about it is about, sort of, they talk about sort of in the context of like, when we think about relationship, we're talking about, we're talking about physical safety in a relationship, we're talking about emotional safety, and then we're talking about community safety, mm. right? Mm. And so, and so, um, and when we're talking about community safety, that's when we're talking about racism and the implications of that on relationships. When it's when we're talking about sort of homophobia and the implications when you're an interracial couple and what that, Woo! <laughs> all of that yeah. stuff, all of that stuff. So that's the piece, and it's and it's very very real because, I mean, it's a, it puts the very very this stressor on the relationship. And now when then the two partners are not like on the same on the same page about in terms of coping the same way around it, mm-hmm. then that starts to blow them up mm-hmm. and create distress for them. And so it's uh, it's yeah, so that's the that's the piece I would say is really, really different and is yeah. <laughs> so I mean, okay. I have so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> so if you are working with a couple yeah. that that is the issue, like maybe one partner is out yeah. and the other is not. Yeah. I mean, and by the way, I, it's I, rare that I it's rare that I actually ever have a couple present because of that. So oh, remember what okay. I was saying to you is so the couple presents because of how much fighting is happening, right? But they don't, but they but don't then, realize that it's all. Oh, oh, they may even re- realize. But what I'm saying is that, like, in the context of is really understanding and unpacking 
mm. how how much how much that is impacting and driving a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm doing this because they can't really spiral see upward spiral. So <laughs> <laughs> this is the upward spiral. So oh, yeah, okay. sense? yeah, because I mean it's like if we're in love and every time I go to your family's house, you say this is my friend Julia. Right. How does that make? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's deep. Absolutely. That's deep. And then when in fact then you do something. So for example, Poppy wants you to meet this person, right? And you're gonna just go meet that person to just honor your dad or your grandparent, you know? Yeah. But essentially, what then the the message I get as your friend when everybody's seeing so it just starts to create a lot of things mm-hmm. inside of that, right? That starts to then bring threats to our relationship. Right, um, or that every time you go into your the, the family's home, essentially that place is a place of threat to the relationship. Mm, it's, it's not all, safe. It's not safe. Yeah, it's not safe. Yeah. And so when you 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 guys have been like partnered together and said, here's how we're going to take care of each other when we're in an unsafe space, then we start to turn on each other instead. Mm. So it's 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 about I mean again I think there's there's nothing you can throw at a couple if a couple knows how to navigate those spaces because they feel safe with being able to be vulnerable with each other and trust that the other partner will be responsive to each other mm-hmm. then you can throw whatever you want to throw at that couple and they will they will they will they will be able to weather it. But see that to me is like you have to be solid as a couple for all of that to happen. Absolutely. You know, and sometimes couples don't realize and it's like, oh, you can meet my family. Absolutely. But they're you as a, you both as a unit Absolutely. haven't talked through how are we gonna handle unsafe potentially unsafe situations. Absolutely. Do we even communicate or do we even feel comfortable communicating with each Absolutely. other? vulnerable with each other do i even think about that for my own self yeah when a partner says when you know your partner your partner says you know your partner's not out it's cool blah 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 and now they've invited you do i actually say for my own self like wait a minute what does that mean for me what's gonna happen right Mm -hmm. or we say oh i'll be be cool and then we get there and And then it's not cool. cool and then i don't know that actually what's happening for me is that i feel hurt that i feel excluded that i feel rejected Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden oh on our way home i start a fight Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, I know I'm just tight. I don't know why I'm tight. I just know I'm tight because yeah. you did da 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 When really actually what's about is that I feel I'm hurt. hurt. I feel rejected. Mm-hmm. Right? I felt like we were in a relation in a place where our relationship wasn't accepted. Yeah. And so we turn but the, the part that sucks is that we turn on each other. Right? The partners that turn on each other rather than saying, That's after why is the, right? Yeah. But they turn on each other. Yeah. So that's the part that's sad. That's the part that we're trying to equip them to be able to do differently. So it's about talking to each other first and being comfortable. Absolutely, I think the way I think that if if I if I'm saying like what I what I'm doing the, the work that I do with couples and that if uh, the couples are doing out there with themselves is when we can make our relationship a safe haven, mm. right? Where no matter what it is that I can really trust that I can come to you. So there are two parts here and open up. I have to be willing to risk and open up, right? And then my partner can also show me that they will be responsive. So when I actually show up and say, this was hard, the response is not toughen up or it's going to be all right. Like, and as in, it's going to be all right. Let's dismiss it. Let's move on. Anyway. Right? Yeah, right. But rather like say, babe, tell me more about why that's hard. Of course that's hard. Right? Mm. So, so what I think we're trying to do is that if, because again, that's a piece I'm saying is like when you, like when you look at it at the end of the day, it went, 
partners really that's what builds that's what security is mm-hmm. secure relationships when we look at what a secure relationship is it's really a relationship where partners feel able to be like open up and like like show themselves fully right where they feel in fact like what they can always trust that they will be responded to and they feel really important and engaged with their partner when those three things are there boom that's what security looks like mm. Which is also hard. I'm sorry, I'm talking about this, and I'm talking about talking talking about this, and it's like, oh, yeah, everyone's nodding, but it's really, it's really, really hard, hard to do this because yeah. we're having to always work hard. We're always constantly having to be vulnerable, be willing to like risk and open ourselves up. Because right, the worst thing that can happen is for you to open yourself up, and then you're rejected, or your partner strikes at you. Then forget it. Or shuts down or on shuts you. down on you and leaves you. And it took a lot to take that out. The worst thing that. we can literally do to each other as human beings is to leave each other alone. Like, in those moments. Like, the aloneness, the loneliness is what actually kills us. Mm. It's the loneliness. Like, we're not wired for loneliness at all. Mm. At all. So, that's the worst. So, when, yeah, so that's the worst. So, that's the piece that can feel really, really painful and so that's why people don't do it, right? Because they, they've had models and had experiences where when they've opened up, they've people. ended up bad, bad shit. Yeah. That stuff has happened. Sorry for language. That stuff has happened. No. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, let's get personal. Like for myself, one thing I've learned is I need to feel like I can tell you anything, even if it's bad, right? And you're not going to shut down or you're not going to run away yeah. from me. And if I tell you one thing and you shut down, it's kind of like, that's it. I'm not going to try again. Like, I did, and you didn't respond the way that I needed, and that's... Because it's so painful, Yeah, It's so painful, right? When I take that risk, and then you left me when I took that risk. Girl! Right? So it is so painful. So it makes the world of sense, then why you're like, eh, the wall's up. Yeah. Right? But again, if I'm in that relationship with the wall up, how is that relationship how is that a gonna, really, like, how's how, it going to survive? Yes. Right? So that's the dilemma. Okay. Okay, one more thing. One more thing. One more thing. So I think with one thing that I I found common, not just with me, but I'll talk about myself, is as a queer person, finding examples of solid relationships mm. to look up to, that has been a big challenge because right, essentially you grow up watching Disney, right? I mean, maybe you did it, I don't know. But, you know, you see examples of love, but they are heterosexual examples. You know, for people of color, it's generally white, right? So I think for queer people trying to figure out what love means, what love looks like, and then what healthy love is about can be very challenging. Because you don't really... It's like you have to, what's that, what's that saying? You have to see it to be it. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And I think that that's, um, to be honest, that's been like a really big challenge for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think it makes the world of sense. It makes the world of sense. Yeah. You know, and I think this is a, re- I mean, I think for our folks who are in film and like, we have to be getting more things out there. We have to. Whether it's web series, whether it's podcast where we bring right but we have to give people models because in fact you're right we cannot it's really interesting and so it's really interesting we, we, it's really hard to do something we haven't actually seen and experienced mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so so i think so yeah so i mean I'm, I'm with you i'm with you on that 
it's, 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 a, it's a challenge. It's a, it's a real challenge. Yeah. You and know? just like talking about healthy relationships, I yeah. think is at the core of, of building sustainability with your Absolutely. So the more that we can get the conversation going, Absolutely. the better. Absolutely. Yeah. So from a business perspective, okay. changing the subject changing a little, little bit. Okay. What was it like to open your own practice? Like, yeah. Tell so, us about yeah, that. Yeah, so the, actually, so opening up my own, when I was just in private practice by myself, that was easy, right? Mm-hmm. That was about me having a really incredible supervisor who turned into a friend who had a space who said, when I said, hey, I want to stop by practice, she said, okay, use my space, hmm. right? Open up a group practice. For free? No. Oh, okay. I was like, wow. <laughs> no, she, she, got, she got rent to pay to Um Opened up a group practice that that right there mm. was was a lot harder and because I almost got had it so easy uh, when I yeah. just started my own um, I don't think I was even as prepared for for I don't even yeah so so that that part been a, was, was was very different um, what it's been like it's been hard it's been really <laughs> really hard but it is so it's gratifying mm. right cuz i the reason that i'm sort of um, i i decided to switch to having a group practice rather than just being in sole practice by myself is because of a very specific vision that i have um, and so what's exciting about it is i mean the first day i remember walking down uh, this hallway and seeing our name on the i don't know what you call that thing that's pointing you in the direction of where you're going what it will the, the sign? The sign. Oh, like the yes. The black thing that shows the, oh, the, oh, yeah, yeah, the sweet yeah. number. Like that you. feeling, I don't know how to describe that yeah. feeling to you, you know? So it's just this huge sense of pride. So it's 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 been hard. Like this is not for the, fa- this is the faintest of hearts. It is not, I mean, this is, it's hard. Mm. But it is really gratifying. And, and, you know, my vision was to create a space that felt the opposite, very different from, you know, typical practices that exist out there. You know, part of what's, What's been really important for me is being able to create a space that you 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 want to come to and you're glad to be in. So so you know I want people to when they walk down so they open our doors they feel like they're in their friend's home. I did. <laughs> I got some cookies, a shake. It was awesome, and this space is beautiful. I love it. Yeah, yeah so, you create that yeah. feeling. So That's to, really know, to have that vision in your head. And then to actually start to see you put in that. So that's just, it's, so that's the part that's gratifying, but it is hard. So, you know, and no matter what business you're in, I think that that's not a part that you skip. Mm-hmm. It's like recognizing that, like, you're going to make sacrifices for the first few years. And that's what it is, you know. Um, but, you know, but the, 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 the cool part is, in fact, about is really to sort of ultimately, you know, knowing that you're actually doing what you have in your head yes. and you believe that needs to be done. And that's the you most know? rewarding thing. That is and that people like it. Yeah, the people are enjoying it and value it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. So what advice would you give to someone who is interested in becoming a therapist? I would say, um, no, advice. Um, I'd say go for it. Um, it is the most, I mean, I can't imagine doing anything else. Mm. I mean, the, the privilege you get to be with people in their most vulnerable spaces and to hold their hand through that, to help them discover their own courage, to help them see themselves differently, to help them see their partner differently. Like it is, I mean, I feel it's, it's, it's really, it's like this mix of, you know, doing some writing this past week to, you know, so I think it's a mix of 
feeling like gratified because you're sort of doing this, but also feeling like this deep humbleness mm. and then this sense of feeling honored that that folks are letting you in in that way. Mm-hmm. So I just don't know. It's like I don't I don't know what that word is that combines those three feelings. I haven't sort of discovered that word, yeah. but it's that that's the way. So 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 it is it's really, really glad it's a really, really gratifying and rewarding experience. So would absolutely, absolutely encourage, especially queer people out there, get yes, we, need we, need, we need that. We need it. We need to. Especially queer people of color. We need, 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 oh. need, need. So get out there, please. Um so yeah, so I'd encourage, 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 encourage folks to to, and to jump in. Is it too late if you're like older? No. It's I would never say that it's too it's no, I think that I mean I think that's the beauty of um, of, of of at least some of psychology and I think social work too is is that it's never too it's never too late if you're breathing, right? <laughs> and you, if you're breathing, you have a working brain and you are uh, you know that you have the discipline. Go I think that's it. It. go for it. Okay, but it requires that discipline for sure. Okay. So. And so you said undergrad, you don't have to major in anything. So if you didn't major in psychology, about... that's fine. I think you still have to you still have to ace that like GRE psychology test, but you can ace that by buying those like Kaplan books or right. those prep tests are. Um, but if you don't have if you don't have the undergrad part, I don't think it's I don't it wasn't a hindrance back yeah. in my time. Um, it wasn't a hindrance back then. So I don't back really... in my t- <laughs> <laughs> listen, I'm old. Not even that old. <laughs> We're gonna take a picture. You're gonna see it. <laughs> but you think so? It's just like the GRE acing that, and then going yeah, so to grad the, school. Yeah, and going to grad school. And there's funding out there so, for us. So for people of color, for sure, for sure. So now the question is, if anyway, so if you're going to a PhD program, so I mean, again, this, the rankings for for programs right are different. So if in fact you want to go to a, like one of the top top ten schools or one of the top tier schools, it's very very competitive. Um, but I think some of those programs, like, I think you certainly will get um, get some money. But I know there are schools that, because I mean, one of the things we know in the field of psychology is just they just we just don't have enough people of color, and certainly queer people, so any minority like minority groups um, will they get extra. They they want to increase the sense of diversity in the field. Mm-hmm. So schools certainly pay attention. So when you look at programs, look for that, and if they don't say anything about it, ask about it. Okay. You know, but but please pursue 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 it pursue it. Um, I just think it's, I mean, it's, for me, it's just been such a reward. I cannot imagine doing anything else like this. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I'm not going to ask you what your alter ego career would be. Well, I thought about that. Oh, okay. But, like, only, here's the only way I can always think about <laughs> it is that if, in fact, I could not be a psychologist. Yes. And I have no musical, like, note in my bone, but I would be a DJ. Yes. And a, and a drummer. Oh, and you know how, yeah. I got, how that alternative came to, came to life? Remember when rock band first came out? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were killing the game. Killing the game. So, so yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> Last question. Yeah. Well, no, I lied. Two questions. <laughs> what makes you innovative? So what makes me innovative? Um, I would say, I mean, for me, it's about being someone who thinks out the box. And always wanted to disrupt the status quo, hmm. right? And 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 in fact, again, going back to sort of the rebranding of this of uh, of, um, of Dr. Buchan Associates to Relationship HQ is completely about innovation, right? It's about sort of saying we have so much. There's so much work that we've done in this field to know what works, what's helpful, and but. What we don't have is enough people getting it out to the people. Mm. And so part of what my vision is for Relationship HQ is being able to take that, the active ingredients of what we know works and making it much more engaging and fun 
um, something that people actually want to come to versus like people, when people think about therapy you're like oh my god like therapy is not no one ever is excited about yeah. it but when you go to therapy it's like has such a like a stigma around it right and the couples therapy forget it it's like that's huge it's like oh you have problems yes yes yeah. so part of what I'm trying to do with research too is really changing the way people really see therapy particularly couples therapy and the way we want to do it is by creating very compelling experiences that are actually also accomplishing the same thing mm. um, that you know, that's a really important therapy that we're ultimately trying to do. Um, so innovation for me is what drives that. It's saying, how do you think outside the box to get more things or things that will actually be more useful to people, helpful to people, um, if we know that people aren't taking it in the way that we want, you know? So it's like, it's about what you do to get out to that. Mm. How would you do to respond to that? That's mm. what innovation means to me. And for me, is what drives, drives, drives me mm-hmm. in terms of the way I think. So... Is there a favorite book or favorite quote and or that you think everyone should read or be inspired by? God, that's a really good one. I was supposed to, oh, that's a really, really good one. I did send the she question. I did send that question and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I've been thinking about <laughs> it and I was going to look it up. There is a fav- my favorite quote. Huh. Carl Rogers says... I can only accept my. I can only change when I have accepted myself. So that that right there is my is my quote. Something along the lines of that. I'm pretty sure it's. I can only change once once I've I've accepted accepted myself. myself. So so for for so when we're thinking about change, it can only occur in the context of me being accepting of myself and accepting as in like not accepting like that kind of frustrating accepting like. I know this about me and like you're irritated about it, but like it's kind of like this piece of like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Hmm. Right? That makes sense to me. Okay. Because what happens when we accept ourselves is the space opens up. The space opens up for us then to be able to have options to be able to do something like that. Hmm. Right? And because when we're not accepting of ourselves, there's so much, right? It's the shame of fear that's sort of coming up again that's blocking. And those things always block change. Hmm. So, hmm. yeah. Love that. <laughs> Love this conversation. I learned so much. I have the book attached. Yes. I'm going to put attached. Dr. Buki's information in the notes okay. of this podcast okay. um, to check out your website Absolutely. and how they can where, where we, where, Yeah, you. so we're rebranding for sure. So the website you're going to hit is our old website, but still relevant information. But in the next month or two months, um, you should be getting our new, our new site. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And... We will be back next week with another episode. But in the meantime, be your authentic self. Please. And if you don't know what that means, start to take text steps to acknowledge what that is for you. And we'll see you next week. Bye.